Good morning. We are glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Tim, and we are wrapping up uh, this journey through 2 Corinthians this morning. Before we get into that, I want to uh, let you know that next Sunday, November the 3rd, uh, is Baptism Celebration Sunday. If that is your next step, uh, we encourage you to check the box on your connection card and let us know that you're interested in that, and we will uh, respond to you with the information that you need, uh, whether you're considering it or whether you're ready for it, uh, let us know on your connection card uh, this morning. So we are wrapping up our journey through Second Corinthians, uh, written by a guy named Paul uh, to a Greek city uh, called Corinth. We have 13 recorded letters from Paul in the New Testament. Uh, this one is his most personal. He talks about uh, his personal struggles and the things that he's gone through uh, in this letter more than any other letter that he wrote. Uh, to, the, to think about the Apostle Paul, this is, he was a pretty spectacular human being. Uh, most of the book of Acts that records his life and ministry um, uh, talks about all the things that he, he did. His conversion to Christianity was a story like uh, none other. He traveled the civilized world planting churches uh, he was always on the go preaching the gospel. He had the ability, the power to perform miracles. He spoke in front of kings. Uh, his life was like none other, but it was not an easy life. Paul had a difficult life following Jesus, and anybody who follows Jesus will have a difficult life. Jesus made that clear. Seven times in this letter, uh, in this letter alone, Paul talks about his personal difficulties and sufferings that he went through, not in spite of, but because of following Jesus. In other words, and you might relate to this, if it wasn't for Jesus, my life would be easier. If it wasn't for Jesus, my life would be a little bit more, a, a little less uh, uh, troublesome. It would be more uh, disaster-free, more conflict-free. But friends, Jesus made this clear. If you're going to pick up the cross and follow him, it's going to be a cross that you bear. Suffering is a part uh, of following him. And so uh, here's, here's the thing. He, before, Jesus, uh, before Paul was a Jesus follower, uh, Paul was a, a Jesus follower persecutor. Uh, he knew going into this uh, what he was in for. He kind of started it. He intimidated Jesus' followers. He imprisoned them. He executed them. And so he knew that if he ever switched teams, the target would now be on his back. And see, he's, he's going to receive personally what he dished out to Jesus' followers. What's more, Jesus made this clear to him when he uh, gave his life to Christ. We have to go back to the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 9 tells us his conversion story. Uh, and I'll put uh, chapter 9, verse 15 and 16 on the screen. These are the words of Jesus to Ananias, uh, the guy who led uh, Paul to Christ. He said, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles. Now, everybody likes to be chosen, right? So Paul's chosen. Great. For what? I will show him how much he must what? Not how popular he's going to be, how, not how successful he's going to be, not about all the miraculous things he's going to, how much he's going to suffer for following Jesus. Jesus didn't put it in the fine print. This was not a bait and switch. He, he told Paul right up front from the very, I think many times we overpromise or maybe just simply promise the wrong thing to would-be followers of Jesus. That's why so many fall away when things don't go their way. Jesus was quite clear to us and to Paul, no false advertising. This is gonna be hard. To follow Jesus is a price to be paid. And Paul paid, paid that price, from personal beatings to prison, shipwrecks, snake bites, false accusations, injustice, suffering was a key 
uh, word in this letter to the Corinthians because suffering was a theme in Paul's life. Following Jesus is hard. So if you have a Bible or have a device, bring up chapter 12 uh, in 2 Corinthians because we're going we're gonna to look at another uh, piece of Paul's sufferings here and I want to uh, set up the context. Uh, the one out front, the person out front always takes the hit, right? The person on top is always the target. And so Paul uh, is out leading the church. He has his, distra- his detractors. He has his enemies. Some thought he was a coward and a fake. Some challenged his authority, questioned his credibility. At times he had to defend himself and his ministry. He didn't like doing it. Uh, but at times he needed to do it, not for his own ego, but to protect the church and the gospel. And so in chapter 11, leading up to the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul goes through a litany of experiences, sufferings in particular. Uh, Paul is saying, this is what I've had to go, go through in following Jesus, go, go through for the gospel. And he, he gives us a list of all kinds of things that he's had to go through, that difficult, hard, sacrificial things he's had to experience to follow Jesus. Friends, here's the deal. Anybody can ride the bandwagon when the road is smooth. But when things get tough, would-be followers bail. And there's nothing like suffering. Friends, it's suffering that keeps people from following Jesus. It's suffering that stops people in following Jesus. And Jesus calls us to this. And Paul says, you want to know that I'm a genuine follower of Jesus? Don't look at all the blessings I've received. Don't look at all the cool things I've got to do. Consider all the ways that I've had to suffer for the name of Christ. I've been stoned, I've been robbed, I've been beaten, I've gone hungry and cold. If I wasn't the real thing, I would have given up a long time ago. And then he moves into chapter 12. I'll put verse 1 on the screen. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's just talked about a whole litany of bad things in chapter 11. And then he says, you want to you know some more? I've got some more stuff, but this stuff is good. This is pretty spectacular. Verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. Now, third heaven, the Bible refers to three different heavens. The first one is the atmosphere that we live in, the, the air that we breathe. Uh, the second heaven is outer space, the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, and then the third heaven is what we consider, what we usually think of when we think about heaven. That's the presence of, of God, the throne room of the Almighty. And Paul says this man went to the third heaven. He actually, he went to heaven. Now, this is, this is kind of weird. Paul never does this anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, but everyone understands that he's talking about himself. And Paul is basically saying here, I don't want to talk about myself, but I'm, I'm refer- this, is, this is me. I, I, I don't want to tell you that it's me, but it's actually me. Fourteen years ago, I went to heaven. And he says in verse 3, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise, heaven, third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I I don't know. God knows. In other words, I can't tell you exactly what happened. I know it happened, but I can't explain it to you because I don't really understand it myself. I don't want to tell you that it was me, but it was me, and I don't like talking about this. And Why? Paul, why why wouldn't you want to talk about this? I'll tell you right now, my great fellowship friends, (laughs) if your pastor ever goes to heaven and comes back, He's going to talk about it, okay? Uh, that's how spiritual I am. I, you know, I, you're, you're, going to, you're going to know about this. Verse 4, he says, And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Uh, on behalf of this man, I will boast. And so there's a lot of things going on with this story. What is going on with this story? Paul's saying, I had a spiritual experience. And if you want to hear about it, I'll, I'll tell you about it, but I don't really want to tell you about it. This experience would add credibility to my 
ministry, not ma- very many people have experienced what I've experienced. Nobody, you know, not many people can talk about a round trip to heaven and back. I can, but the idea of bragging about it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Paul says. It kind of, I mean, it's actually kind of looter because it, it kind of nullifies the spiritual experience in itself. I mean, for one, no one has a spiritual experience unless God gives you one. You, ca- you cannot conjure up a spiritual experience on your own. So you have no, no reason to brag or to be boastful about this. Paul says, I, I, I don't want to talk about this, but I can, I can tell you about it, but I can't, I can't verify it. I can't prove it to you. I can't duplicate it so that you can see it. You have to kind of take my word for it. And the fact that, you know, it took 14 years for Paul to even talk about it for the first time indicates this deep, intimate experience that, that this was for him. It took him 14 years to tell anybody about this. Now, here's the thing. Back in the book of Acts, we have a book in the New Testament called the Acts of the Apostles, and it records much of the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And six different times in that book, we find Paul having some sort of spiritual experience. Luke, his companion who recorded the book, wrote all these things down, told us about six different visions or spiritual experiences that Paul had. Paul never talked about them, but we know about them because Luke wrote them down. Now this one, 14 years ago, Paul never talked about it, and Luke never recorded it. He never wrote it down. Nobody ever knew about this. Uh, At least we don't think we knew, knew about this. There is an incident in Acts chapter 14 where, where Paul was, was stoned. Uh, he was, you know, people threw rocks at him, and they, they were, his, he was beaten so hard that he was dragged out of the city and left for dead. They thought he was dead. That's how badly beaten uh, he was. The question is, did Paul actually, did, did he actually die? <laughs> did, did he go to heaven and come back? Did Paul have what we would call a near-death experience? You know, 13, American, uh, 13 million Americans claim that they've had a near-death experience where they've experienced heaven. Did Paul have this? Was that when he had this kind of experience? Paul says, I don't like talking about this. Why, why is that? Why, why would Paul not want to talk about this? Well, let me give you an example. You know, it says a lot about a person who uh, won't talk about certain things. Uh, have you had anyone ever say, God told me? Um, now, we can't verify that, um, and that's not to say anything about the person who says God told me. Maybe he did, maybe he did not, but we don't, you know, there's no way to verify that. Uh, when somebody says God told me, I, I, I don't know how to, you know, you can't argue with that. Um, it's this, that statement sort of just kind of lifts them up above any contradiction. Uh, only you know if that's, if that's true or not. Um, but then someone will go further and say, you know, God told me to tell you. Now it's getting personal, you know, and now you want some verification, you know, you know, pr- prove that to me. If, if God wanted me to know something, why didn't he tell me? Why is he just telling you? And Paul's, Paul says, you know, w- when you say something like that, you're attaching an authority to yourself that cannot be confirmed, cannot be verified, uh, and something to which no one can argue. And Paul, and Paul says here, I don't want to do that. That's Paul. I, I can tell you about my personal experiences. I can tell you about all the things, the miraculous things that God did in my life. I can even, I, but I can't put an explanation on it, and, and I could boast about it, but boasting would nullify the experience. He says in verse 5, on behalf of this man, the guy who went to heaven, I will, bo- uh, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my what? Weaknesses. 
uh, though I should uh, Though I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. He says, I could do this, but I, don't, I refrain from it. Why? So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. What's he saying here? What, what does it say about a person who chooses not to talk about something he could easily brag about? Paul says, I don't want, to, I don't want you to judge me according to my experiences. All of the spiritual stuff that I've been through. When people brag about their experiences, they automatically claim an authority for themselves that no one you know, can dispute. And so Paul says, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I, I could, but I want you to judge me on my character. I want you to judge me on the integrity of my ministry. I want you to judge me on the things that I say and do, not on the experiences that I brag about. My life is not about my experiences. My life is about the gospel that God has called me to preach. It's all about Jesus. And it's not about what I've gained because of Jesus. It's because of what I've given up for Jesus. Friends, it's suffering that authenticates your fellowship. He says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Look at this verse. A couple of th- he says it at the beginning and at the end, to keep me from becoming conceited to keep me from bragging, to keep me from boasting. Friends, humility is the greatest virtue of a Jesus follower because pride is the greatest barrier to following Jesus. And he says, to keep me from that, a thorn, and the word thorn here is not a sticker on a rose bush. (laughs) It's a stake that is driven into the ground, and its purpose, its function, is harassment. A thorn that is a constant in-your-face troublemaker and it was given to him it was a divinely ordained gift god gave him this thorn to harass him verse eight three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me but he said my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of christ may rest upon me now again look at that verse number one We don't know what this thorn was. Throughout the entire New Testament, Paul never tells us what this thorn was. It could be a physical malady. It could have been a spiritual struggle. We don't know. The fact is, if we knew what it was, we would have focused on what it was, and we would have missed the point of the thorn. So Paul doesn't tell us what it is. Paul had this thorn. Secondly, we can assume for almost 14 years. Because he says, because of this experience that I I refuse to talk about, God gave me this thorn. And three times uh, throughout these 14 years, probably not referring to three specific prayers, but probably three seasons or turning points in his life. You know, you get to a point where you're, you're not quite sure you can take it anymore. You can't, I can't handle this anymore. And so Paul pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Three different seasons of his life. But here, here's the other thing. And most importantly, Paul shows us in this verse, that strength and weaknesses, strength and weakness is never separated in following Jesus. In the Christian life, you will always have a combination of strength and weakness. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Our strength, our help comes from the Lord. For the sake of Christ, he says in verse 10, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Uh, Read this last phrase with me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Read it again. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, God's strength in you begins when you surrender your own. You will not experience the strength of God until you are out of your own. 
God's strength is perfected when your weakness is confessed, when you acknowledge your weakness. Now, here's, here's the deal, and this could be the bottom line this morning. Friends, no one, no one is too weak to be used by God. You think about what you've been through, you think about your experiences, you think about what you've had to deal with in life, the sufferings and the calamities and the, dis, the, the, the difficulties of your, no one is too weak to be used by God. But a lot of us are too strong. A lot of us are too equipped. A lot of us aren't humble enough, aren't grateful enough, aren't prayerful enough, aren't patient enough, aren't submissive enough, aren't weak enough. We're not dependent enough on the grace of God, not hungry enough for the power of God to show up. Paul knew firsthand the dangers of advantage, the dangers of thinking, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, that should earn me something. I deserve special treatment. Don't I deserve an exemption in some of this stuff? Friends, there's nothing to boast about. There's nothing to brag about in being saved. Are you a Jesus follower this morning? That is a gift. There's, in fact, doesn't, isn't that what the Bible says? Grace is a gift and this not of yourselves so that no one can boast. There's no reason to be proud. There's every reason to be humble, humble and grateful. And so to remind us of that, we have thorns. Thorns. What, what, what is a thorn? You think about your own life. A, th- a thorn is, is a, a piercing pain, a chronic irritation, an unrelenting problem. It could be a physical experience, a spiritual experience. It could be mo- mental or emotional, relational. Whatever that is, it's a hurt, a habit. It is a hang-up that is an ever-present reminder of your weakness driving you to dependence within your own wisdom you cannot make sense of it within your own power you cannot make it go away and what paul says to us in this passage is that it is both a message uh, of satan to torment you and it is a vehicle through which god speaks to you can that happen yes at the very same time the things that you go through the things that you would consider a thorn is a message from satan and a message from god let me illustrate this in the gospels we have the story of peter Uh, peter confesses christ as the son of god for the very first time he's the first one to do it jesus commended him for his great confession peter stands on a mountain we call it the mountain of transfiguration he literally witnesses physically witnesses elijah and moses come down from heaven to authenticate the person and ministry of jesus christ he hears an audible the, the audible voice of god say uh, this is my beloved son listen to him talk about an experience that peter had and then days later we find peter denying that he ever knew jesus which Jesus predicted that he would do. Jesus told Peter, you know what? Satan has asked to sift you or to test you, uh, meaning you are going to have this colossal failure and Satan is going to want to use that to destroy your faith, to destroy your life. But I have prayed for you so that when you come through this difficulty, that you will be able to strengthen your brothers because they're going to do the same thing. They're going to bail on me. They're all going to feel like failures. Satan wants to destroy you, but God wants to use you. Same circumstance, same event. And so Paul, back in 2 Corinthians, has this thorn. And in verse 7, he tells us that Satan has something to say about it. 
And then two verses later in verse 9, he says God has something to say about it. The question is, whose voice are you going to listen to? And friends, this is true of your struggle. This is true of all of your experiences. This is true of the thorn that God has placed in your, the, the divinely gifted thorn that you have to deal with. There is a message from Satan, and there is something that God wants to say to you. God wants, uh, Satan wants to use it for evil. God wants to use it for good. Satan wants to destroy you. God wants to build you. And the key to this experience for the grace that you need and the power that can be perfected in your weakness is listening to the right voice. Listening to the right voice. What does God want to say to you through your thorn? You think about the things that you go through, the difficulties of your life, the things that seem to be unrelenting, that never goes away, that you cannot control or change. What is God saying to you in your thorn? Here's the first thing he says. You are powerless. A thorn teaches you that you, can't, that you are not in charge. The thorn teaches you that you cannot command your life, that you are not in control of your own life, that you cannot change the circumstances of your life by your own willpower and wisdom. I am powerless. Secondly, I am inadequate. Many of us are under this false assumption that if I live the good life, good things will happen to me. The Bible, for instance, never teaches that. I do good, I get good, which means it's all up to me. And the thorn destroys that kind of thinking. It dismantles all of your self-sufficiency and declares you never enough to overcome this thorn. You are inadequate. And thirdly, you, you are weak. You are vulnerable. You are dependent. You are reliant. You are subject to the sovereign plan of God. Whatever that thorn is in your life, it is a constant reminder that you are powerless, inadequate, and weak. Here's what the thorn is not saying. The thorn does not say you don't have enough faith. Don't misunderstand the thorn. Because you've had people say that. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't be suffering this. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't be going through this. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't have this thorn. You just need to pose that idea to people like Job and Daniel, Jeremiah, to even Jesus who died on the cross. We have to go all the way back to the beginning of this series eight weeks ago. We looked at chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul said this, We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but, th but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul realized that the sufferings in his life, the thorns of his life, drove him to total dependence on God. He said in chapter 1, I despaired of life. In other words, I didn't think I would make it. And there was a point in my life where I didn't want to make it. I would just have ha soon have died everything would have been fine. And he learned in that experience that God was enough for him. That always brings me back to the story of Job in the Old Testament. He had everything going for him. He had everything that he wanted. And so uh, the message from Satan was, Job loves God because he gets everything he wants. Give Job a thorn and he will curse God and die. And so God permits this thorn into Job's life. He loses everything. And the reason why Job becomes one of the most significant characters in the Bible, even in the history of mankind, is not because he had some spiritual experience with God, but because Job learned to love God for God and nothing else. Regardless of what he lost, he found his sufficiency in the grace of God. Regardless of how down he was and in despair, he realized the power 
comes because he, he admitted his weakness. Power only comes through weakness. And Paul, Paul learned the same thing. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may be evident in my own life. This thorn that you gave me is a gift. Paul didn't tell us what the thorn was. He just tells us what the thorn means, the message in the thorn. I may not be able to make sense of it, but God has a reason. I may not be able to make good of it, but God has a plan. I may not make it go away, but God will demonstrate his grace and his power through it. God intended it as a gift. And in order for God, for Paul to experience the grace and the power of God, he had to learn to embrace this thorn as a gift. As a gift. Now here's the deal, friends. Here's the thing about gifts. Gifts unreceived go to waste. You have to receive a gift for, for a gift to, you, to be used, for a gift to fulfill its purpose. We're, we're 59 days away from Christmas. Have you ever gotten a gift where you thought, huh? Like, what, what is this? And why, do, why, do, why are you giving this to me? Why, why do, why do, have you ever gotten a gift where you just, you're not quite sure? <laughs> Two questions you want to ask yourself about every gift God gives you. One, what do you want me to learn? And two, who do you want me to love? Regardless of the thorn that God puts in your life, what does the thorn make possible in your life? God, how do you want to use this thorn in my life? What do you want me to learn because of it? Who do you want me to love because of it? When it comes to the gifts of God, friends, it's never just about you. You are blessed to be a blessing. Everything God permits in your life, even the thorns in your life, particularly the thorns in your life, have a twofold purpose, to develop you and to use you. So what do you want me to learn? And who do you want me to love? There's a lot of things that we learn from thorns. Friends, thorns, it's, it's the thorn that strengthens your faith. It's the thorn that develops your character. It's the thorn that exposes your idols. It's the thorn that challenges your priorities. It's the thorns that alter your eternal perspective. Thank God for the thorns in our lives. Our hurts and our habits and our hangups are God's best curriculum. But it doesn't just stop with teaching us. Thorns prepare us to weep with those who weep. The thorns equip us to comfort people with the comfort we've received. The thorns expand our hearts toward the hurting. And so Paul says, here's what I'm going to do with the thing that God has gifted me, with the thing that will not go away, with the thing that I cannot change. I'm going to receive it. Here's what I'm going to do with what I cannot change. I'm going to surrender it to the God who can bring good out of it. Here's what I'm going to do about the thing that I cannot overpower. I'm going to surrender it to God and receive the gift from God, not as a curse from Satan, but as a gift from God. I'm, I'm not going to waste another moment whining about it, wishing it away or blaming it on somebody. I'm going to live in the promise of God and live out the purpose of God because of my thorns. I'm going to admit my weakness, my inability so I can experience the ability of God. I'm going to embrace my weakness so I can experience the strength of God. And when people look at my life, friends, here's the purpose of the thorn. When people look at my life, they're going to see a peace that cannot be explained and a joy that cannot be measured and a hope that is steadfast and sure because this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with Jesus. Friends, this, this is the gospel. We have a Jesus who was given a thorn. Remember the story? Jesus 
stood in the garden, knelt in the garden, prostrated himself in the garden. He was given a gift that no one would call a gift, but it was because of that gift, that gift had a purpose and a promise, and three times, friends, remember three times Jesus said, take this cup from me, take this cup from me, take this cup from me, and God said no, no, no. Three times God said no. Why? Well, friends, God said no to Jesus so he could say yes to you. God did not remove the thorn from Jesus so he could bring healing to your life. This, this is the gospel, friends. I don't know what God has put in your life. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know the hurt, the habit, the hang-up, the thorn that seems to be unrelenting. But someone had to bear the thorn so that by those wounds, you could be healed. And so that the strength of God and the grace of God could be evident in your life. Are you ready to embrace your thorn as the gift God intended? Ushers, we're ready for communion. I want us to think about that as we move into this time. The instructions that we have uh, for communion are on the side screens for those of you who uh, need them. I just want to read a passage of scripture that indicates to us this thought. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, my prayer for you is that you would find yourself in a place where the burden is too heavy, where the pressure is too intense, where the pain is too much to bear so that the grace of God would show up and the power of God would be evident in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the thorns. Thank you for the difficulties that you give, that you permit in our lives. And help us, Father, not to resist it, to find someone to blame, or in our own wisdom and power try to remove, but that we would allow your good purpose and power to display the gospel in our lives. Father, we thank you for this moment of communion that reminds us that you bore the thorn so that by your wounds we could be healed. To that end, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.